0: You're not the bad guys, we are. Hello and welcome to the Blood and Thunder Matchday Preview Podcast. My name is Tom Savage. I hope you're doing well. Um, This is the first game of a new block. A sort of a... not as week-to-week as the previous block, the midweek block of games were. The Six Nations is still there and kind of lumbering in the way for the time being. But it is one of those blocks where, over the next three games I would say, um, Ospreys, Scarlets and Glasgow... Munster have three home games and those three home games could propel Munster depending on other results in and around the mosh pit of the URC um, that could propel Munster back up into top four contention where we kind of are now but to be within a point or so of um, you know going into fourth or maybe even third depending on results um, but it's an exciting time of the season um, these test windows used to be pretty much um, constant in the, the Pro 14 before. Um, there would be during November and the Six Nations there would be matches almost every week and um, I think they damaged the product. I liked them. I liked watching those games because you'd be lots of opportunities for younger players um, but for the Welsh, for the Scottish, for the Italians um, it was just basically just a giant hurricane of L's where they would just get beaten every single week because they didn't have the depth one of the benefits of the URC was is that there would be fewer of these games. Um, now, that doesn't mean there would be zero because I don't think you can ever um, look at all the spare weeks that are there around Test Rugby and not use them, especially when we're trying to, you know, I suppose, lighten the workload on, on pro players in general. But... Uh, that's what we have this week where uh, the Ospreys had nobody released from Welsh camp. Munster have a ton of guys back. We'll get to the team sheets there in a minute. But that's not really the, the the main story. I'll be covering stuff about um, Alex uh, Nankivell later on um, at the end of this podcast. But looking at um, where the Ospreys are at the moment, an incredibly difficult place. I've been speaking to a few people about the, I suppose, where the Welsh rugby, I suppose, is at. It's not in a great place. Like, it's difficult because, like, what's happening now isn't just something that's just happened in the last couple of weeks. Like, that's not new. Like, it's not even, you know, it's not even this season. These are decisions that are going back years and years and years. And I can can sympathize with that because I, too, have been totally fucked up by things that happened many, many years ago to the point where I can't even remember the logic behind why I did some of those things or why a decision was made or not made that's where Welsh Rugby is right now where they have a group of of, of, of pro players probably one too many professional regions that are there that they have to support um, and a situation where like geez, you look at long term um, it's kind of hard to know what the road out of it for the Welsh Rugby Union is at the moment they have to cut their spend basically there are too many players those players want too much money And there's not enough money to go around to those pro players. Now, the system in Wales is different from what it is in Ireland where the IRFU run the show completely with the provinces making up their own money um, to a certain extent, but there's lots of support from the IRFU because Munster, Leinster, Ulster and Connacht are the IRFU and the IRFU are Munster, Leinster, Connacht, Ulster. So, to that extent, like, it's not really similar at all when it comes to Wales. Like, Wales are more of a bottom-up rather than top-down. Um, Like, the regions have tried to get private investment. Like, to, to an extent, it reminds me of the best system for Wales all along would have been the central contract system and would have been essentially contracted, not necessarily the exact same, but with the, the union being the one that controls everything with regards to players signed inwards, what happens in in Ireland, which is far from perfect, but it's way better than what's happening in Wales right now, but the Welsh regions, when they were kind of going from amateurism over to professionalism, there was a period there where they had their clubs involved, the likes of, you know, Llanetly, the likes of Cardiff, like, not not Cardiff Blues or, you know, whatever they they become and, and, and went back to again. But, like, they were, the, like, those clubs, like Neath, for example, would have been the clubs that were involved. Now, they found it very difficult in the early going to compete with the likes of the English clubs and, and the provinces once they kind of got their, their act together because clubs are, are smaller. But in Wales, it's all about the clubs. And when they created the regional system, like, they kind of mashed together, like, Swansea and, um, and Neath, because um, they were originally called the Neath Swansea, the Neath Swansea Ospreys, and that like that, thats a bit like I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out how to how to put that together. That's like mixing like Carcon and like Gary Owen together to make a club out of to go play pro rugby. Like nobody really knew who the supporters were supposed to be in this. And and plus it wasn't even done the whole hog Where they created Like these entities were created And given a license And Basically They went well for a while I mean the Ospreys for a while Were a really good side In the, the mid to late 2000s And even in the early parts of the 2010s but it hasn't really worked out for anybody in Welsh Rugby, I think, since then, where they've had the odd of success, like the Scarlets, I think, in 2016, 2017. I think Cardiff won a, a Challenge Cup as well, but they seem to have never been able to capitalise on it. But even then, the Welsh Rugby Union is making money. Like, they're making money. And they're in a, a, a real impasse at the moment where players haven't been offered concrete deals, like they haven't had a bit of paper put in front of them with a signature on it saying, we're offering you this... A lot of guys haven't got their business done and they're off contract in four months time you've got you've got kids you've got you've got car loans you've got like a house loan like you've got mortgages everything your rent to pay with with, with like whoever you're staying and you can't really do anything because do i speak to another club what like what's going on it's just it's incredibly it's incredibly difficult like it really is because at this stage w- whatever is happening it's a mess and it's a mess to the point where players are talking about striking. uh players have been very vocal in the media. Uh, Willis Halaholo uh spoke on his Twitter account about just how difficult it is to be able to you know to to support your family and and keep things you know, and, and keep the show on the road and And not just as like rugby players. As fathers, as partners, as somebody who's just like even just trying to go about living their lives, even if you don't have kids or you don't have a, a, a partner or whatever it is, it's incredibly frustrating because this is a very dangerous game. Like your career could end next week. You, your, your, your career could end in a training session. And when you're done... Because one of the things I've seen this week is that people cribbing because players are only being offered 100k a year and they're thinking, well, shit, if I was offered 100k a year, I'd snatch your hand off for it. It's different with pro rugby. These are short-term contracts. Like if you were offered a job where uh, you're offered 100k a year, but there's no guarantee that at the end of that two years that you'll be retained at the same money or that if something happens in work where you don't have a work place relations commission where you've been let go or whatever else or whatever you can just be they can just decide not to keep you on they don't have to pay you redundancy they don't have to do any of that you are essentially a kind of a vendor you are vending and you are kind of you're, you're contracting your skills out to this team and they are paying you that's the deal and like the whole point of of, of players being paid paid the money that they're paid especially if you go like up the levels or even down the levels like like they're talking about here where it's 100k per year but like some of that then is is offset with bonus money where you might not get it like if you're running a house or if you're dealing with any sort of business like you can't deal with bonuses as money that you're going to get there's all there's all manner of tax stuff that's like um, that is wrapped up in that as well where it becomes just very very difficult for these for these players to to plan their lives outside rugby and in a game like this, where if you come down off a line-out wrong, not to give anybody here any PTSD from, from RG Snaman, like, if you come down off a line-out wrong, like, if you're just a, a guy who isn't RG Snaman, for example, like, that could be your career done. And if you've spent the last, you know, four or five years out here trying to trying to make it as a pro rugby player, it isn't just automatic, you're just, well... Like, what do I do now? Like, that. Like that's a legit question for so many rugby players who, they all can't go into punditry. Like, they all can't go into coaching. And even if you go into coaching, that is such a difficult road to go down for your family or for your partner, even for yourselves. Because if you're a pro rugby player, like, you show up on the morning for your training. You show up, you do your, you do your, your your, your bit in the training field, you, you do your gym, food is prep for you, you're told what to do at all times. And when you come out of that, like, you know, oh, I'll just go coaching. It's a completely different, it's a, it's a totally different game. And like, even if those guys who don't stay in the game, like as you've got to go back out in to go and do a career, like you might think coming out, even if you're a mid-level success as a rugby player, where you maybe you've got a few Ireland caps or, you know, Welsh caps or whatever else, and people know you as a rugby player and you're kind of half, fa- you know, you're maybe maybe half famous. You might be thinking, oh, geez, but look, he's famous. Everybody, you know, he's he'll be grand. Like, you're old news so quickly after you stop playing. Like this is one of the things that when you when you talk to players that like there's the, the whole routine of your of your life is gone where everything's done for you. You have to do all that now and trying to find out what you're gonna do, which you what you're gonna do, which is a that's a big deal. And but not only that, then it's like when you're going looking for a job or you're trying to get into work afterwards if you're not staying in the game, it can be very difficult because you're like, Well, I'm thirty two, for example. Say you're lucky, right? And you retire at thirty five. I'm 40, right? Like I only got my job as it exists now, properly from when I was around 36, 37. Like other than that, like I only started TRK because I was I was I was fucked. So if you're if you're a player coming out of there and you've got kids, like I didn't have kids at the time, like if I was in a situation like that, it's like, well what do I do now? And that's the that's the reality that a lot of these players are facing coming into this game from Nosprey's perspective where that's kind of hanging over their head. Now, to be fair, it has also been hanging over their head for the majority of the season so far, and they've got some really good results. They've beaten Montpellier away from home. They've beaten Leicester away from home. Now, to an extent, I think Leicester are not the force that they were last season. Um, They've, I won't say regressed, but I think other teams have kind of gone beyond them a little bit, and they're suffering from that. I suppose the hangover that comes with kick pressure if you're not a truly elite side who play kick pressure where to an extent they've kind of been rumbled and I think, I still think they'll be dangerous in the Gallagher Premiership as it's gone on you know towards the end of the season there but they're not an elite level European side and I think that the Ospreys the style of kick pressure that they play like player for player if you look at the Ospreys and Leicester I think the Ospreys are, have better players like, they're, like on, on the aggregate now Leicester have some fine players like Jasper Visa and a couple of other guys um, who were who really good but like you know uh, Montaja is really good and uh, Dane Coles and, and a couple of other guys Dane Coles? Dan Coles Dan Cole hmm uh, Andre Pollard so on and so forth Freddie Stewart but I look at I look at the Ospreys I look at Adam Beard like their they're, they're full strength side Nicky Smith great player Dewey Lake an outstanding like he's injured at the moment but he's an outstanding talent and you've they've got talent all the way through their lines like they've got good players all the way through and like that will push them and like they've got a style of rugby I spoke about it in the, in the red eye for this game where when Toby Booth came in he had a job to do which was this is an absolute mess here I've got to pull this way back and he did that it's a really good example as to what a good coach does when he's in a situation where what the previous coaches have done has not worked uh, results performances even morale in the squad is in the gutter and um, what Toby Booth did at the Ospreys when he came in was is basically just strip back a lot of what they were doing and refine it because it's not like they weren't playing kick pressure before under the previous coach. But what he did was is just removed a lot of the stuff that was killing them. They weren't a very good attacking side under the previous coaching regime, but he kind of just stripped that away. Like, they're a fairly big rebuild job, the Ospreys in general. Like, they've got great players, like really good players. I think Adam Beard, for example, one of the best second rows in Europe. But you look at what they needed to do, and I think they just needed to strip back a lot of what they were doing and just get rid of what wasn't working. And they've built up their game from the foundations up. So you're talking about good work rate in defence. They've got very good work rate in defence. Good recruitment. They got in Jack Morgan, I think, from the Scarlets. He's been a very, very good player for them. Now he's playing Test Rugby for Wales. They've utilised the the talent that they have in the group. And they've got good transition defence, like I said. Good work rate. Good line-out. One of the best in the URC. Good scrum. I think arguably the best in the URC. And a really high-volume, high-distance kicking game, which is essentially kick pressure. You look at the players that they have in their back five in particular, they've got guys who are very good at stopping uh, stopping runners and stopping platform carries off nine. They've got good work rate in their back row, cover a lot of ground, good at the breakdown. And like anything that the Ospreys has built has been based off that. Now, they've added bits and pieces to their game where it's not just kick pressure, um, like where like they're 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 quite good and expensive I think in some regards, where they play you know the kind of the three two two that everybody does to a certain extent. Um, but they've got talent all the way through their team, and like the question here that, I, that a lot of people are asking me is like, why? Like, what kind of mindset will they be in coming in here? Like, I honestly I can't say because like they've been doing well enough all season. Now to be fair, it has stepped up a fair bit over the last number of weeks with the Six Nations being a big amplifier where you know the the Welsh players like they would not even submit to Netflix filming them because and I think they're actually dead right here that if they're not going to get treated the way they want to be treated or fairly in the way that they think is fairly why should they submit themselves to generating content for the Welsh Rugby Union when those guys won't pay them what they feel is their due I completely get behind that so like it's absolutely a distraction and not just like a distraction from rugby. Like it's just a distraction from regular life because there's guys like who don't know whether they're gonna have a gig in four in four months time. So they're all they're all over the place. And like, it's not like there's a ton of, of, of work that's going on in England at the moment. There's clubs are under big pressure financially there. Like in France, it's difficult to get in there, especially with GIF status. So for some guys, like they made, like they might just not be playing rugby at the end of the season and have to go do something else that's going to be a distraction. Now, on the other hand, if you're a player in a situation like that, the game coming up at the weekend might be exactly what you need. So for those Ospreys players, this game tonight is going to be a release for them. But how much of a release is the thing? For Munster, we have to shut down all hope very, very quickly. Um, Because again, I I think with, with a team like the Ospreys here, you can't give them anything early in the game to kind of give them something to build around. Munster have to start very, very strong and get these guys off thinking, t- thinking not on the game anymore and that's when Munster can start putting on some points get a bonus point and start building from there these are big opportunities over the next two or three weeks um, or two or three rounds I will say because it's not uh, chronologically in, in, in weeks um, this, these are really big rounds for Munster where 15 points is on the table really and we can hurt, especially Glasgow, around us and get, get ourselves into that spot before we get back into Europe, before we get back to that tour of South Africa, which is coming at the end as well. Three home games, must be three home wins. And it starts with this one uh, on uh, Friday night, tonight at uh, 25 to 8. So, uh, we have the teams and... um. Yesterday, there was a bit of confusion because the Ospreys team was out late for whatever reason. There was, again, people worried about whether or not there's going to be a... You know, is it going to be a... Are they going to strike for it or whatever else? But that hasn't happened at the time being. Let's have a look at what the Ospreys have brought over. Uh, At fullback, they brought Max Nagy, uh, Luke Morgan... And Keelan Giles, a very dangerous player in their back three. Keelan Giles is probably their most important guy when it comes to managing their kicking game and managing just like managing their off-sidelines at a basic level, but like most of the kicking that the Ospreys do is off nine, so that means that there will be long, deep runbacks. They will want to pull that back, I think, here, though, because they will be aware of Munster's threat on transition, which wasn't there last year, but like they won't want to be giving Munster too much in the way of attacking runbacks. We're quite dangerous there now, whereas previously we weren't. Um, so Keelan Giles will be very, very important there. I think they'll want to pull that that like that like kicking game right back because if you look at the Ospreys, nobody has had more scrums than the Ospreys this season. Their kicking game is as a, is as a result of that. Like they kick short and contestable. So when the ball is coming down vertically and you're contesting in the air with somebody else, that ball will get knocked on more often than not. Like, to play kick pressure properly, I feel you have to have a really dominant scrum. And the Ospreys have a very dominant scrum they win more scrum penalties than anybody else and Nicky Smith is a vital part of that he's a really aggressive technical scrummager and there will be a really big challenge for uh, for Roman Salanoa in this game from a scrummaging perspective just managing Nicky Smith and keeping him out of the game as much as possible um, in midfield they have Michael Collins and Ollie Watkins uh, who whose name I've just realised I've spelt wrong in the red eye Um, So, again, good functional players. None of those guys are massive, massive game line winners. But, again, good functional players who are able to run the system. And they're, again, energetic defenders, energetic chasers as well. They're really good at setting that outside line. They don't make a whole ton of mistakes. That will be the, the, the aim for Munster here in transition. If we're doing well on transition, it'll be around the likes of Michael Collins and around the likes of Ollie Watkins and... Uh, Morgan and Giles that you will see the likes of Fekatoa or you will see the likes of uh, Antoine Frisch passing around so that's going to be a big factor in this game if Munster can get our transition game working the way that it it should be at halfback they have Stephen Myler and Ruben Morgan Williams Uh, Ruben Morgan Williams is a pretty good player he's uh, a decent box kicker he's got some good volume there good accuracy doesn't tend to make a whole ton of mistakes but there are charge downs here for, for Munster where he from what I've watched them, I watched Ospreys against Zebra and I watched them against Leinster and I watched them against um what another team I kinda I'm a very tired guy today. Um so they they have shown a small little propensity to get charged down. So look for the likes of Finian Witcherly look for the likes of Jean Klain and Jack O'Donohue to be going flying after them there. Jack O'Donohue, by the way uh, I'll be mentioning this later on He's one of the best guard defenders in the URC. Makes a ton of tackles and uh, scrags and stops on players from the guard position next to the rook. So he'll be a guy who's going to be very, very important for putting pressure on uh, Ruben Morgan-Williams. Who can, his management of the ball back there, can sometimes be a bit iffy. So there will be pickup opportunities back there if he is even off it, even for a second. So that's going to be something to watch. As for Stephen Myler... I really admire this guy. Like his his goal kicking is generally very good. His management of the game is very good. Like if you go back to this the, the reverse fixture last year, um, it was played in an absolute like like being played in one of those tropical showers that you'd see in fancy spas, um, except it was in Swansea and it was <laughs> really cold and uncomfortable. Um, Munster went into that game with an idea that what we were going to do was going to hurt the Ospreys on transition. We played our highest pass-per-carry game of the entire season in that match against the Ospreys, and we lost. Our discipline was brutal in that game. Scrum was very, very poor. But Stephen Myler, his ability to just kick the three over and over and over again from Munster and discipline was a massive factor in Ospreys winning that game. And Munster ended up just chasing it and chasing it and chasing it. And again, trying to do in one game what we've never done and like what, like is in this is a good example, and, and that I think that Ospreys game is a really good example of what happens when you have an idea as to what you want to be on paper, but you don't. Maybe you train that way, but you don't play that way consistently. So when you try to do it, it's hit or miss. And that game was a pure example of pure hit or miss monster last year, where we upped our pass per carry ratio ridiculously. And just couldn't get the job done we had a great team selected last year for this game like i think ty burn was playing at six um and then we just never really looked like we were showing the quality on the field at all because again if you're trying to play a high pass per carry game in the west and like it was a fairly nasty day weather wise it was just context free and it because we don't play that way or we didn't play that way every week last week or last season it meant that it was very, very difficult to just turn it on uh, in a wet Friday or Saturday night in in Swansea. So this time around, um, we will be looking to try and play the same between 1.3, 1.4 pass per carry game that we have done the entire season. And we have stayed that, we've stayed true to that the entire way through. And we're going to try to hurt these guys on transition. But when you look at Stephen Myler, his ability to just make good decisions at the right time is a big part of why the ospreys are doing quite well at the moment um, he's a guy who can step in like in he can be a backup he can step in and be the main guy as he is here and they lose very little i feel uh he's a very just a very competent player who like i said doesn't make a whole ton of mistakes there's not a whole lot of fireworks with him either but not making mistakes is a fairly valuable uh, quality to have up front they have Nicky smith uh, Elvis Tyone and Tom Botha in the front row a very competent, very good scrummaging front row Elvis Tyone, good line player as well and explosive off the back of the mall, something to watch In the second row they have Bradley Davies and Hugh Sutton Hugh Sutton, a fairly inexperienced guy Bradley Davies, all the experience that anybody could ever want uh, In the back row as well they've got Irishman Jack Regan Ethan Roots and Morgan Morris Now Jack Regan is a second row Uh, By trade typically. So this is sort of a a three lock pack build they've gone for. With a double small forward build in the other slots as well. Ethan Roots and Morgan Morris are guys who've got a lot of work rate. They cover a lot of ground. They're really good over the ball. Like breakdown threats as well. So for the Ospreys. This does not look like a team or a pack that's that's set up to go. uh, with a lot of on ball possession. I think they will kick a lot of their possession here. And look to try and catch Munster off ball. So there's a big pressure on Munster to be very accurate and very I would say ferocious vicious all those other you know words you want to use to trigger what Munster want on that first phase which is retain the ball don't get slowed down by the likes of Morris by the likes of uh, by Roots by even Michael Collins and Ollie Watkins who were dangerous guys over the ball at the breakdown too like we've got to keep them out of the game and that means that it's a lot of pressure on that first phase uh, after the kick receipt which we will get and we'll have to be accurate there too but that's where I think the Ospreys see a point of difference for themselves here. On the bench they have Tom, uh, Tom Cowan Dickey, Garen Phillips, Reese Henry, uh, who's, I think he's the guy, he just looks like a runaway wheelie bin when he's uh, when he's running with the ball, which is which is great, uh, James Fender, Harry Deeves. Harry Deeves was playing for the Welsh under 20s last year, very young player, small forward Bill Guy as well, uh, Matthew Aubrey, Jack Walsh and Easton Hopkins, I hope I pronounced that name right, I think it's uh, Yeston Hopkins. But yeah, he is um, and, and again, uh, way more youth on their bench. Like again, the ospreys I think have, a, have quite a good side. The style of rugby that they play is fairly low error. So like for 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 them, there is there's not that much to go wrong. They don't play a whole lot of on ball. Uh, if they do, it's in your half of the field and and very near your 22. Most of the rest of the time, that they will kick, or they will play phase pressure or phase play to get into position so that they can then kick. So, um, yeah, they're a side who I feel Munster should beat, but they have their danger men and they have guys who can hurt us if we're not careful. Here's the team that Munster have selected in the back three Shane Daly, Liam Coombs, and Simon Zebo, who returns for the first time, I think, since December. He hasn't looked super fit all season long. But with Munster's transition game being what it is, that suits Simon Zebo down to the ground. Absolutely. Because, again, he has pace. His acceleration maybe isn't what it was, but he has pace. He has top-end pace. He can win collisions. But it's his hands, his passing, his short offloading, everything. That's what makes Simon Zebo Simon Zebo. So him on the loop routes that we've seen this season from our wingers will be really, really interesting. But from Liam Coombs, we've seen as well a guy who maybe doesn't look as quick as what he did last season or the season before um, where for a while I think he was one of the quickest in the squad whenever I think was it Calvin Nash or somebody said that but as he showed against the Lions he is an elusive runner and he is deceptively quick if that makes sense where he just kind of ghosts past guys and he's shown that he is a dangerous guy in transition he'll have an opportunity to do it here to use it here in midfield Antoine Friche Malachi Fekitoa. now Fekitoa announced this week that he's leaving the club at the end of the season which you would hear around the place and I've you've heard it around the place for a while as in not just last week or the week before that part of the reason why he wasn't involved in the squad uh, in the towards the end of, of, of last year was that he had spoken about looking to try and get a different club for a number of different reasons like it's not just like not being happy here which again he, he can't be happy here if he's leaving but there's a number of different things at play where there could be family reasons there could be trying to get closer to home um. And, or to, to get to a place where there's a, a closer support network like previously I might not have been too understanding of it but like they had a a, a young baby a young baby all babies are born young <laughs> as, you, as you're well aware um, they had a a, a newborn a, a couple of months before moving over to to Munster and that can be a big big change for people you know like they, they lived in commentary for three years commentary for three years when he was playing with wasps so to move over to a new town, a new country, new way of doing things—the kind of the support network that maybe was there uh, in in Coventry—you don't have that anymore. You're kind of moving over to a new place. You don't know anybody. Young kid as well. It's it's difficult. It can be it can be really tricky. And again, because his partner I think is 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 Spanish, so you'd often see him back in Spain on, on 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 you know break weeks and stuff like that. That can be difficult. It can be difficult to to kind of get the rugby side right. Uh, and then on top of that then there's there's the other side of the game which is maybe he doesn't suit what we're trying to do for the most part because again he wasn't signed by Graham Rowntree um like when Graham Rowntree had deal done like approved as the the new Munster head coach with then Mike Prendergast coming in and, and all those other players like the deal for Fekatoa had been done before that like that had been negotiated with um Van Cran had made, had made the first inquiries about it because we weren't allowed to keep Damien Dillende so we did have permission to sign somebody else because we just don't have a player who's ready to come through Irish qualified who's just ready it's very difficult for Munster to bring that player through we've struggled for honestly the guts in nearly 20 years to bring somebody through at that world class level uh, who's, who's Irish qualified so like when you look at the the situation in Munster Arena, I think it was around this time last year maybe just before we knew Damien Dillende was gone so we also didn't have a head coach for the next season, so we didn't know. But you have a, a deal that's there to be done with Malachi Fekitoa, even though the coach who had been IDing him and stuff like that was gone. So you're kind of left in a position where, okay, do we just not do business then? Like Antoine Friche's deal came up after all this had been done. So this was not in play beforehand. This was all, this was uh, Antoine Friche came about because of... Um, bristol's problem with the with their salary cap okay so that was not that was not the case back in january so monster were left with damien delende is leaving so next season that we could have guys who the reason why we got damien delende is because those guys haven't worked out to the elite level as we hoped nothing wrong with that but that was the the thought process and then when we got um malachi fekatoa signed up eventually a couple of months later, Graham Rountree was was, uh, was brought in and he actually wanted to bring in um, Alex Nankivell um, then, but it, w- it wasn't to be. Munster had been scouting them, uh, Alex Nankivell, for quite some time, not just in the last number of weeks. So with Malachi Fekatoa being announced this week, that's been in train for a while. Um, it's not something that just came up in the last two or three weeks, as far as I'm aware, um, but it's something where Alex Nankivell was also a long-term target as well so he i think is a better fit for what monster are doing he's younger more explosive um and i think he's going to bring like i've got an article coming later on today on what's the story with alex nankivel on the five euro tier which will be worth watching because i've watched a lot of his games he is and this is only since yesterday because i i had no idea i knew monster were signing a center but i had no idea who it was Um, I'd heard that it was non-Irish qualified because there's rumours about Piers O'Connor and a couple of other guys like that. I'm not sure if they're happening now because the rumours about Antoine Friche, again, from what I understand, he's not leaving. So um, I don't think that Piers O'Connor is a runner as of now. um, But we'll have to wait and see how Chris Farrell's case pans out as well. That's still in the background too. So that's all to be be confirmed. But we know for sure that Malachi Feketo is leaving. In this game, like, he and Frish have shown a good understanding with each other. So I think there's real potential there for you know, for Munster, especially on transition or those phases just after it, for the likes of fekatoa to to really you know, show what he can do because there's lots of rugby left to go. There were no hard feelings there. He's enjoying himself for the time being. And look, I for one, am happy that he and Munster have got their business sorted. As it's always it, when that stuff is on the air, it's very hard. it's very hard to do things. so it's it's all clear now and I think what Fekatoa showed against Toulouse as well is that he's a dangerous guy off the set piece um, he's really explosive and dangerous to handle like uh, Roman Antimac who's far from a powder puff defensively struggled with Malachi Fekitoa, um, uh, against Toulouse or, uh, in the Toulouse game so I think Stephen Myler and Ollie Watkins are guys that Fechatoa can really impact just man for man in that channel as well so that's going to be an interesting one to see how that pans out at halfback Joey Carberry and Paddy Patterson Uh, Patterson we know what he brings pace acceleration tempo uh, that'll be needed here against this uh, against this Osprey side who will want to slow it down they blitz to slow you but if we can play quick and especially with Paddy Patterson look to try and snipe around those fringes um, there's opportunities there and lots of them Um, Joey Carberry again it's a bit weird to see him involved in games like this where typically he's involved up in Ireland and there's not a chance that he's released Um, he just has to keep building on his game and like for me the big worry here is that some of Joey's pass quality as he's linking between the ruck and the pod outside and maybe the screen target or whatever can be a bit fat and wobbly those passes that leaves space for their blitzing outside backs and their blitzing uh, flankers the likes of Roots and Morgan if they can get at that monster uh, play from we'll say we, we tend to go between the 15s if they can get us from one edge of the 15 where we're launching there they will blitz hard on that outside target on 10 like they will they will make you pass there and like they will they will stress you and that's going to be a big thing for Carberry to make the right decision but there's going to be kicking opportunities behind those guys as well like if they blitz behind um, and blitz on the pod off 10 and they do they will make you kick so for Joey Carberry that, the opportunity is there to just dab a little kick over the over the top of that blitz you don't have to go all the way to the wing although you could do that too so don't be surprised if you see Antoine Friche coming in as the layered runner where he's behind the, the, the pod of 3 we'll say looking for a screen pass but it turns out it's a, it's a kick over the top for Farish to chase and have him look to try and attack that directly there's a try there using that I feel looking at the way that Osprey's uh, defend but this is a big a big game for Joey Carberry where he basically just has to show that he's above this level and that's that's the challenge for him in the pack we have Josh Witcherly, Niles Scannell Roman Salanoa and uh, the second row is Jean-Claene, Feeney-Witcherley, and Jack O'Donoghue, John Hodden, and Gavin Coombs make up the back row. Jack O'Donoghue back from suspension, captaining the side. Really good bit on Access Monster. if you want to have a look at that. It's only €4. Euro. If you want to check out accessmonster.ie where they have a video of him where he's talking about what happened against Toulouse, or Northampton rather, and um, which footage from the game from inside the dressing room. Really, really good. And um, yeah, he's a guy who I think gives us a good balance in that back five where he's not a half lock but he gives you a lot of those qualities like he is the heavy combo flanker there and with Gavin Coombs he is building to be basically half lock slash power forward and you see on the bench there's no second row replacement I think Gavin Coombs will go up into the second row here again that helps him from an Irish perspective to show that he's got that ability to cover that spot but we look at the way that he plays like he in this uh in this first half i'd say will be playing more direct and you'll see him carrying the ball more power forward like tendencies but as the game wears on and even maybe even initially i think you'll see him being one of the core guys in the line out like john with john hodden being either the plus one or the fella that we use in midfield to, to compress and attack defenders so with um you know with with, with the the bench being the way it is, we've got Dermot Barron, Mark Donnelly, Stephen Archer, Jack O'Sullivan, Alex Kendallin, Ethan Coklin, Ben Healy, and Rory Scannell. Like with that bench, with Jack O'Sullivan and Alex Kendallin, like the opportunity there is for Gavin Coombs to take a, a much bigger role um, in the in the uh, in, in the lineout as it progresses. To have um, basically to showcase that he has that skill set in him, where basically you're kind of looking to try and show a half lock style role set. And with burnout for the next 12 weeks, which is just a disaster, um, that is a a big opportunity for Gavin Coombs, not just from a Munster perspective, because I think we know the player that we have here, but to show the Irish coaches that he's a guy who has that skill set where he can cover off the bench in a way that maybe a Jack Conan cannot. So that's going to be the big challenge for Gavin Coombs. Um, when I look at John Hodden as well, this is set up for a big game for him. I think looking at the wings and looking at the edge spaces for for uh, for the Ospreys, if we can reliably find John Hodden on the edge, he will hurt them. And he will score tries because I think he's a bad matchup for their edge defenders and that he's explosive. He's like he's got really good acceleration. He's got a good short passing game, which I think could really, really work with the likes of Simon Zebo. and we know that it works with liam Coombs. um if if we could basically get the ball to a position where Antoine Frisch, can commit defenders and put away the likes of Hodnet with Simon Zebo trailing after him and Petty Patterson as well, there's tries to be scored and spectacular ones. So we'll be interested to see how that rolls out. Anyway, uh, I will be back with the post or the poem I must call it by its old name, TRK Radio after this game. Um, tonight, the Wally ratings and the five-star podcast will be out on Sunday at some point. Um, and the What's the Story with Alex Nankivel will be out in the €5 tier later on today. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber. I will talk to you again very, very soon.